Thank you for tuning in to the WAM podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women and Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Fran Brunel. I'm your host for today's show, and I'm also the president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc., a company that specializes in mergers and acquisitions strictly within the manufacturing sectors. Today, we welcome to the show Emily Feenstra. Emily is the Managing Director of Government Relations and Infrastructure Initiatives at the American Society of Civil Engineers. In that role, she leads the division responsible for government affairs, media relations, and infrastructure policy for the society, including ASCE's Infrastructure Report Card, which we'll learn more about today, and the Failure to Act Economic Study Series. Emily also serves on the Board of Advisors for the Eno Center for Transportation and the Innovative Infrastructure Initiative. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me this morning. Well, we're glad to have you. If you can, please introduce our listeners to ASCE and what you do there. Sure, absolutely. So the American Society of Civil Engineers is actually the nation's oldest engineering society. We're an association representing 150,000 civil engineers across the country and internationally as well. So my team and I are the voice of the civil engineers in Washington, D.C. We have an office near Capitol Hill. We have been sounding the alarm on the need to invest in infrastructure and maintain and modernize infrastructure. And when I say infrastructure, I mean everything from roads and bridges and transit to water systems, the electric grid, dams, levees, ports, even schools and parks. It's really broad definition of physical infrastructure. And, you know, this is great timing for this conversation. We've just seen the passage of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, a historic investment in a lot of those assets. So we are busy kind of being the voice, telling stories about infrastructure and translating really technical information from our members. Mm the country to Capitol Hill and policymakers. Yeah. So the infrastructure report card, I became, first of all, I love the website, folks. It's infrastructurereportcard.org. It's incredibly informative, and I would encourage everyone to visit it. Several years ago, I became familiar with this because we were actually selling a pump and valve manufacturer. And during the time that we were marketing that company, I stumbled across this site in doing research. And I was absolutely amazed by how much of our nation's infrastructure is literally crumbling right? And so the particular company that we were selling, they were repairing, you know, pumps and valves that were part of water infrastructure. And in some cases, an entire town or county was threatened with no water. And they were pulling out these pumps that were from the early 1900s. 
And the original manufacturer wasn't even in business anymore. And this company was recreating, you know, reverse engineering and recreating a solution. And I tell you what, it was really an education on the absolute need for infrastructure repair in the United States. Tell us a little bit about this report, how often it happens, and what you report on. And that's such a great story and a perfect example of kind of why we do the report card. So ASCE started doing these report cards in 1998, and it was actually the 10-year anniversary of a congressionally mandated report on the state of the nation's public works. So we saw that nobody else was picking up that report and (laughs) updating it, so we decided to do that ourselves. But, you know, some of the issue is these are things that are out of sight, out of mind. Well, you're not looking underground at those old antiquated pipes. You're driving over a bridge, but you're not examining the underside and kind of the corrosion. And, you know, most often just this gradual deterioration over time. And, you know, engineers are innovative. They're problem solvers. They're doing the best that they can with the limited public funding. But if you talk to transit agencies or water utility directors, we've really kind of taken a generation off from investing in these assets that were put in in the Civil War, in the Eisenhower era. We do have wooden water pipes in northeastern U.S. from the Civil War. They're still in place today, but, you know, a lot of wooden bridge system built out a long time ago. So we started the report card to shine a light on some of these issues that we felt like were hidden. We're not getting the national attention that they deserved, you know, back 20 years ago. We've been doing those report cards every four years since that time. They've gotten more robust. We're up to 17 categories of infrastructure, and we actually even included, we called it a spotlight on broadband. So we weren't ready to give it a grade, but we wanted to introduce some of the issues with broadband. So we're constantly adding and tweaking and making the methodology robust to give people an honest broker objective assessment of infrastructure conditions in this country and funding needs. It is very high level. It's not an engineering report. You go to the website, Fran mentioned, it is really about, you know, taking very complex information and distilling it down into three pages or so, showing maps, showing charts for a policy audience. Yeah. And just from educational perspective, to let the general public become aware of what is needed in these categories and how bad the grading is. I love that you have, over time, added to the report where it today includes things that it did not originally include. Besides broadband, what are some of the categories that you've added? For another great question. So our new category in 2021, and I should say the grade was a C minus, which was good news in the sense we've never gotten out of the Ds in the 20 years for our overall GPA, but bad news in the sense I'm a parent, you know, would you be happy if your kid brought home a C minus? No, (laughs) there's a lot of work to do. But in 2021, we added stormwater as a category. And you can really see even just in the news, cities that are inundated with flooding over and over again, you know, as we have more impervious pavement, sort of stormwater issues are becoming kind of front and center. So we added that category. Let's see, in 2013, we added ports. 
And actually, the Association of Port Authorities came to us and said, we see the attention you're getting on this report card. Can you please add us? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we worked We worked with kind of stakeholders because really, you know, we would love to add even more. One of the issues, you know, in addition to kind of staff time and resources is what data is available to assess the category. So we make a really hard decision on do we have enough data, publicly available information to be able to honestly assess the category. So in some cases like ports and stormwater, there may not be a federal agency collecting all of that information or what they have is a limited picture. So we work with industry and stakeholders to fill out that picture. Sure. Now, also you're involved with the failure to act economic studies. Speak into that a little bit if you can. Sure. I, you know, a number of years, we'd been issuing report cards, the grades were in the Ds, and we got a lot of questions from the public or Capitol Hill saying, you know, so what that we have a D plus for a nation's infrastructure? What does that mean for the economy? You know, tell us why should we care beyond the fact that it's a poor grade? So we worked with an economist to put together these economic studies on what are the implications for our nation's economic growth if we do continue with the status quo and infrastructure across all these categories? Mm-hmm. And very fine point on things that we all probably kind of get intuitively. So when you have a water main break that shuts down a business, that's not just inconvenient, that costs money for that business. When you have a blackout or a brownout in the electric grid, and unfortunately we've seen a number of examples, stark examples of that, that costs money. So looking at the economic analysis, we're finding that across these infrastructure sectors, we're not saying doing nothing, but just continuing to do what we're doing in terms of investment levels. We find that it costs the average American household and business $3,300 a year. Wow. Deteriorating unreliable infrastructure. And then when you look at manufacturing in particular, the costs are much higher and they grow exponentially over time. If we don't solve the problem, particularly in the water sector, you know, as you all know best, there's so many businesses and manufacturers that depend on water as part of their process. So when it's not available, we pay the price. Yeah, so true, so true. Mm. So you've had a very interesting career path where you started out in communications and talk to us about that a little bit and how your career has morphed over time. Sure. Well, I found myself, I've been working on infrastructure issues for, you know, 15 to 20 years now, but you're right. I started out working in media and communications and for a firm, and then I got put on a project dealing with kind of walkable communities and urban planning. And I just really loved the issues and that what what it meant to quality of life. And so I made kind of a pivot early on to go work as a consultant for the Washington State Department of Transportation, you know, talking about one of their big mega projects in downtown Seattle and, and what we should do with this project. And coming from Washington, D.C., I'm a D.C. native. So I said, put me on your messiest political project, please. <laughs> and they did. And I found... That was brave. <laughs> I don't know, I'm a glutton for punishment, or I just really, you know, appreciate that so many of these decisions that are made on infrastructure are really about how are you telling your story about, you know, the project that you want to 
put forward, what is it going to do for people? Is it going to make their lives better? Is it going to make their commute shorter, them safer? You know, and engineers, they are wonderful at designing bridges, but sometimes they don't know how to tell that story. So I kind of found this unique spot where I love to dig, dig into the technical details, but I really find my skill set is in being a translator and telling stories about how, what my members do and what engineers do um, to create a better quality of life. So it's worked well for me. I really enjoy getting up to speed on all sorts of new issues, new projects, but it was an interesting path. Yeah, you know, that kind of ties into what we were talking about before with the failure to act studies that you were involved in, because that's about telling the story of why we need to do this, why we should, you said it best, why should people care about this? And it seems to me that you're an expert in find in telling the story. And that's fabulous. And that's something that I personally believe every manufacturer needs to listen to. Because like you said, for the most part, they can be great engineers, great widget makers. But when it comes to telling the story of their business and why people should care and why people should want to do business with them, they oftentimes fall short. So the storytelling, the branding is messaging that every manufacturer needs to pay attention to. And clearly, you have learned to do that in spades. It's a fun, I love working with our members and our engineers and it's a fun, you know, when you're making the widget, sometimes you're doing it, you're so immersed in it 24 seven that you forget what's most exciting or different about it. So a lot of what we do too, is just listen, you know, tell me about this, tell me about this innovative material. Mm -hmm. I'll hear something in there that's just counterintuitive. Maybe you hadn't thought about and it seems very mundane to you, but to the public, or a member of Congress, it might just be the most fascinating part of it. So yeah, yeah it's constantly interesting. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell our audience a little bit for people that really are not aware of this bill that just passed, what's important about it? Uh, tell us a little bit of what's in it and how it is going to benefit our nation. Absolutely. So last Friday, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act passed the House. It had passed the Senate back in August, but it needed to get through the House to get to the president's desk. So that was a, a huge win and a huge victory over decades. But I guess first and foremost, this is a physical infrastructure bill. So it's $1.2 trillion all dedicated to those categories that you see on the report card website. And those are really wide ranging. There is, I would say, uh, the largest bucket of funds are for, you know, your brick and mortar transportation projects. It's the largest investment in the nation's bridges in history, I believe. So a lot for bridge and resilience in this combination of funds that go to state DOTs but also new competitive grant programs for smaller communities or MPOs or different sort of levels of government. There's a lot of funding for water systems, 55 billion, that includes 15 billion set aside for lead pipe replacement, a huge need that we have. We want all communities to have access to clean drinking water. 
There's 65 billion for the electric grid. So making sure we can meet those renewable goals by making sure the transmission lines are available to connect the grid to the new remote sources of renewables. I mean, I could just go on and on through the list of categories, but it, you know, really want to emphasize that this is a new scale of investment we haven't seen in our nation's physical infrastructure and that so many categories beyond transportation are included, even things like Superfund sites and brownfield sites and cleaning up some of those contaminated sites. So it's 2,700 pages of legislation. We are still <laughs> unpacking it for our members, especially I was talking to somebody at USDOT yesterday. He said they've got 21 new grant programs they're going to have to figure out how to administer. So just to get a sense of the opportunities there, I think, for manufacturers, the opportunities for the American communities that are going to benefit from getting some of these repairs that have been on the books for years. They just haven't had the funding to do them. So there's a lot to unpack, but very exciting you know, funding, but also new policy to make sure we're building back in a way that's going to make our communities resilient. We're not just putting back things the way they used to be. Yeah. So I, as I listen to all of this, I hear opportunity for manufacturers nationally. Anyone that's working, you know, you think about roads, bridges, there's metal, there's welding, there's, you know, pavement, concrete, there's all of these different things. And the amount of money that's going to be spent to enhance our infrastructure, I would also offer for consideration that this is something that young people trying to decide a career, manufacturing is going to boom as a result of this. And young people should really consider going into some of these fields that are going to benefit as a result of this infrastructure bill. So, Emily, we're starting to run out of time. I would like you to share with our audience if they want to learn more about the bill or more information about the ASCE, how best should they reach out? Well, I would encourage you all first to take a look at that website that Fran mentioned, infrastructurereportcard.org, because you can find out all the information we have in our report card, but also we do keep it up to date with a blog post on what's happening in Washington, what's happening with the bill, all of those kind of newsy items. So that I would recommend. And also you can reach out to me and my team at govwash at asce.org. And we'd be happy to be in touch. So that's G-O-V-W-A-S-H. Fabulous. Well, we really so much appreciate spending time with us today. It was an absolute delight. Thank you so much. I had a great time. So listen, if you're a woman in manufacturing or in an industry that's servicing the manufacturing community and you would like to be on the show, please reach out to me at 908 387-1000 or reach out on LinkedIn, Fran Brunel. Also, I want to encourage our listeners to visit whampodcast.com where you can see all of our shows and also other shows brought to you by the Jacket Media Company. Thank you for being with us today and have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.